Welcome back for another episode of the Beyond Body podcast. I'm your host, Mia Findlay, an eating disorder survivor, advocate, and recovery coach. And this podcast is all about motivating, inspiring, and most importantly, getting real about mental health. As always, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which I am seated and recording today, the Gadigal people. I send my respect to all elders and any First Nations people listening. Welcome back, everybody. I'm probably welcoming you back to a couple of places. You may be listening to this on the Beyond Body podcast. You may be watching it on the What Mia Did Next channel. It became apparent very quickly that this conversation really belonged across all of my platforms because today's topic is causing people a lot of anxiety and distress and also because there's just so much amazing advice and insight that came out of this conversation. I have mixed feelings about this episode. I am both frustrated and excited. I am frustrated because of the subject matter. We will be discussing the recent announcement from the British government that they will be mandating that pretty much any place that sells food will have to display the calorie contents of all their products. So that's restaurants, cafes, even ordering online through whatever version of Uber Eats you might use. And it is really, really causing a lot of distress to people going through recovery, people with eating disorders, and also to professionals. I just had a visceral response to this announcement because it just goes to show how much work there is to do to educate people at really high levels about how pointless uh, this endeavor is and how much it is affecting people negatively, even the people they're trying to quote unquote help, which we'll get into in the episode, what sort of the the goal is with this uh, with this crusade and how ignorant it is. But I'm also excited because of who we're talking to. One of my favorite creators, and I don't follow a lot of recovery content uh, because being recovered, I tend to want to look at bulldogs and alpacas more than recovery content. But someone who I do follow and really respect is Maeve from Dietetically Speaking. She is a registered dietitian and I love her work. So when I saw that she was advertising a free Instagram live to unpack this recent announcement, and to give people tools and strategies, I knew I had to talk to her and she really kindly agreed to come and chat to us. And that's precisely what she provided for us, Uh, really specific strategies, compassion, validation. And even though this announcement is specific to people in the UK, uh, it is obviously also gonna be helpful for people who find that they encounter calorie content in public settings or on menus etc i know that a lot of it happens in the us i was always really uh, i found it really jarring to see uh calorie content when i would travel there in active recovery it was really like whoa uh quite a quite a process to adjust to that and and challenge it when i was there Uh, and we have a little bit of it in australia so i know this is going to help beyond even just this recent announcement uh mave is brilliant in what she does she specializes in eating disorders and disordered eating and i hope that you really enjoy our chat uh, and that it helps you to navigate your own you know uh, journey with overcoming calorie counting or obsession with numbers or just feeling derailed by the display of calorie content Um, sending you all a ton of love and enjoy the chat 
So Maeve, thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Body podcast today. In the intro, I would have given people a little bit of background, but if anybody is in the space, in the recovery space online, it would be pretty hard to miss this new piece of legislation which, which has come out regarding the uh, display of calorie content on uh, menus and the point of purchase in restaurants, cafes, anywhere that you can really buy food. And I obviously saw your phenomenal uh, live that you are doing, your Instagram live, and you you were the absolute perfect person to talk to. Um, but before we jump into that crucial conversation, if we can just get an idea of who we're chatting to today, can you tell us a little bit about you, what you do for a living, and a little bit about your work in the online space? Yes, Absolutely. Um, so I'm a UK and Irish registered dietitian. I'm from Ireland. I'm based in the UK, but I work with clients online in both countries. So back in 2015, I started Dietetically Speaking, and I was really kind of spreading evidence-based information about nutrition and combating fad diets. And that's really kind of developed over the years into um, me specializing in disordered eating, because really, you know, that kind of line between fad diets and diet culture, it can be quite a fine line a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and I'm really passionate about supporting people in that journey of healing their relationship with food. So I have an online clinic, as I mentioned, that's for one-to-one support. I offer some online courses and things like that. Um, and then I'm also, you know, sharing that information and raising awareness on social media. So my approach really is evidence-based, person-centered, compassionate, and weight-inclusive. Fantastic. Beautiful. Uh, I'm always so enthusiastic to talk to anybody uh, who is in the space who has taken a really specific interest in disordered eating and eating disorders because we need them and we need people who are really, really passionate. And I'm such a fan of your content and have been following you for some time. And that passion is really, really evident. Uh, and it makes me feel very secure in the knowledge that we've just got such amazing clinicians out there. So I'm personally so grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, so what motivated you more generally to sort of get into the dietetic space? What interested you about that field? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I've had an interest in food. I mean, most people have an interest in food. Yeah. Um, Food's great. Big part of our life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess when I started to think about my career and, you know, what I might want to do with my life, there's a few different areas I was drawn to. And um, so I really considered becoming a teacher, probably like primary school teacher, really interested in psychology or nutrition. And then I discovered that a dietitian was a thing. And that actually felt like a really good mix of those mm. three things because, you know, nutrition and our interactions with food is inherently psychological. So even though dietitians aren't mental health professionals, there's definitely that psychological element in there. Um, and then dietitians, again, were translating the science of nutrition and giving that kind of practical advice. So there is quite a bit of teaching that comes into it as well. Um, so, yeah, I found that actually to be just a really nice mix of those kind of key interests that I've had. Yeah. And in terms of the because uh, it's it's so true when I speak to diet uh, dietitians who are on the teams of clients who I'm working with, uh, mm -hmm. that's really what they find so appealing is that it goes beyond just sort of the science. It's really about getting into the deeper work around how people relate to food, what food represents to people, the meaning of food. And as much as food is at its core fuel, it's all of these other wonderful things as well. It's connection and memories and it's 
uh, culture, it's uh, where you come from, it's family, it's so many important psychological components. So what do you find rewarding about this particular niche, like this sort of disordered eating, eating disorder niche? What is it about those clients and working with them through that process that you find rewarding? Yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there with this specific work. You know, you're really zooming out and you're looking at that big picture when it comes to food and the joy that food brings and all those different roles, as you mentioned, in terms of socializing and memories and yes, also fuel, also health. Um, but, you know, food is just so much more than this one thing. It's so much more than physical health. And I guess when it comes to that really rewarding piece, it's just such a privilege to be there alongside people as they're on that journey to a more peaceful relationship with food. And, you know, it's just I'm always amazed, really, by the clients that I work with and you know people I see on courses and things about you know, their insights, their reflections, you know, I'm learning from them all the time because they're always the expert in themselves. Um, but to be able to be there and be, I always kind of describe it as kind of like that tour guide when it comes to nutrition, you know, it's mm -hmm. their journey, but I'm there kind of alongside them to kind of support them and give them tips and advice. Um, but really it is their journey. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's just a real privilege to be, to be kind of there experiencing that as well. And to be able to support people with that. Yeah. And to see them go that full length uh, of that process and come out the other side is like you said, privilege is so, so the word for it uh, mm -hmm. because it is such a, it is such a precious, vulnerable time for people and it's scary and overwhelming, but it also comes with all these amazing moments of curiosity and success and accomplishment. So you're really riding the waves with people and I really like your emphasis on the fact that this is their journey. I think that that's been such an important shift in the recovery space in the last few years in particular, is this moving away from treatment versus uh, individual and more about empowering that person with knowledge, with support, with uh, unconditional compassion to say, here's all the tools, here's the framework, and now see what you can do with it. Yes. Empowering is absolutely the word. Yeah, 100%. So like I said, the key reason why we connected was this unfortunate uh, news, which came out in the last week or so, which uh, is all about calorie content being shown in restaurants and cafes, basically anywhere that food is sold, uh, calorie amounts will now be displayed. And just before we get into our chat, I just wanted to read from the gov.uk website to give people sort of the full context of what we're talking about. So calories will be labeled on menus and food labels in out-of-home food businesses from April 2022, the government has announced. Regulations will be laid in Parliament tomorrow that will require large businesses with 250 or more employees in England, including cafes, restaurants and takeaways, to display the calorie information of non-prepacked food and soft drink items that are prepared for customers. Calorie information will need to be displayed at the point of choice for the customer, such as physical menus, online menus, food delivery platforms, and food labels. Where aren't they going to get you with this? <laughs> the measures which form part of the government's wider strategy to tackle obesity will help to ensure people are able to make more informed, healthier choices when it comes to eating food out or ordering takeaways. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the impact that obesity can have on people's health and health outcomes. And for those who are listening, uh, Maeve and I have just made similar facial expressions at certain points in that, in that bit of literature. Yeah. 
So when you heard about this, and obviously you've been aware with the pushback, but when it was announced and sort of all the literature came out in the announcement, what were your immediate thoughts and concerns when you heard this announcement? Yeah, I mean, really, there were so many, even kind of hearing you read that again, I feel like my blood pressure has raised a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I should have put a trigger warning on that before. Uh, maybe we'll put it at the top of the episode. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, the big one really that came through for me is just the real harm that this is going to cause to so many people. You know, I already work with clients because this has been trickling through anyway. You know, it is becoming more and more common. And again, let's say the clients that I work with in Ireland, even though this legislation isn't specific to Ireland, they're noticing, you know, more and more, um, you know, labels being plastered everywhere. And there's just so many specific examples of how that has really negatively impacted people. And, you know, they've been taken out of that moment they've been really triggered they maybe haven't actually been able to get what they wanted or even eat in that establishment you know maybe it's led to restriction um so that was kind of the first thing that that came to my mind and also i mean like the evidence supports that i mean the evidence in this area is you know shaky overall um but there are like you know one specific study i'm thinking of found that you know, only about 50% of people really noticed calories on menus and calories, you know, on food counters and things. But those who struggled with disordered eating were much more likely to notice those calories than the other group. And, and that's, you know, this other group is what, I mean, that's a whole other conversation around, you know, the health and the O word. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's who the government is trying to target with this. But actually it's the people who are at most risk of harm, who are the ones who are going to be much more aware of this and are going to notice this. So I think that's kind of the, the big thing that comes to mind, you know, when I think about this. Another thing really is, it's just like the lack of accuracy. You know, when we talk about calories, it's always such a kind of a rough estimation. Mm. Now, as dietitians, you know, we do use calories. We use them as a bit of a snapshot. You know, we, we have a bit of an idea of, you know, our energy needs for clients, you know, how much energy they're consuming, but they're such a rough guide. And I've seen that they, in terms of the literature and the research, that they can be anywhere from 20 to 90% inaccurate. I mean, generally it's more the sort of 20 to 30% end of things, because when it comes to calories, you know, depending on the database that's been used um, in terms of how we digest food, food processing, when it's been cooked, all of these things change those calorie amounts. So they're really not this kind of precise, accurate thing. And if we think about the practicalities of preparing food in a restaurant or a cafe, then, you know, if again, if they're not following, you know, specifically to the T and really, you know, being exact about things, it's going to vary again. So I just, first of all, just find it really unhelpful and inaccurate, but then also harmful, as I said. And it really just does not paint the full picture when it comes to nutrition as well. You know, when we think about nutrition, we think about nutrition quality and variety, like variety of food is really important. Then that calorie number just does not represent, you know, food and nutrition as a whole. And then definitely doesn't represent, as we were already speaking about, you know, all the other roles that food plays and, you know, the memories and the joy. And really, it, it absolutely takes away from the joy. It's, you know, if somebody is, you know, going out and you know, they're looking forward to this, um, and, and maybe somebody who's even on the less disordered end of the spectrum, it can actually 
take people out of that moment again, really focus on those numbers, you know, bring that unnecessary food anxiety and kind of second guess your own intuitive choices when it comes to food. It really kind of externalizes the whole thing rather than, you know, you being able to um, intuitively enjoy food. And I guess another big thing really is that it's, it's just, it's not given an informed choice. That's one of my biggest problems with it, that I don't have a problem with this information being available. You know, it's, it's an individual thing, whether some people may or may not want to see that. And there's some medical conditions where it's helpful to have um, nutritional information. I don't mean just calories, but, you know, maybe someone has diabetes and their carbohydrate counting or something like that. So I think having some of that information available, you know, can be a helpful thing. But my issue is when it's not a choice, when it's just plastered there and you can't decide whether that's helpful or unhelpful for me to see that. And actually the default being that, oh, it's just there rather than the default being, okay, I can request that if necessary. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my main issues with it. I could probably go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> Key points. That's a beautiful summary. I think that that really touches on so many of the concerns and so interesting that research that you uh, bring up around the likelihood that somebody who is more disordered or has an eating disorder, they're more likely to hone in on those numbers. That absolutely speaks to not only my own anecdotal experience of an eating disorder, but what, and I'm sure you as well, see time and time and time again with clients Mm -hmm. that it absolutely has the capacity to derail people in an enormous way even when their intention is to go out and challenge. If there is a calorie amount sitting on that menu, it can be the difference between something moving forward or somebody really getting thrown off course. Um, So in terms of the uh, impact that this could have on someone with an eating disorder or probably even more crucially, someone who has maybe a predisposition or has a vulnerability to disordered eating or eating disorders, Why is this concerning? How could this impact someone sort of in a day-to-day sense if they're sort of sitting on that end of the spectrum? Yeah. Yeah. As you were saying there, it can really, you know, make the difference in that moment for people on all different ends of the spectrum of disordered eating, eating disorders. Um, I've absolutely seen it with clients. So some of the main concerns is really being that, that trigger, that reminder of calories. Um, So it could be that they're specifically working on um, disconnecting from calories because, you know, it's, it's a really tricky thing that if somebody has been calorie counting and if that's contributing to a negative relationship with food and we start to take the emphasis away from calorie counting, you know, it's unlikely that somebody will kind of unlearn a lot of those numbers, you know, at least not straight away. Mm. So that's already a tricky thing in itself, but if somebody is, is consciously trying to do that and sort of pay less attention to that, or pay less attention to the ED voice who's maybe you know constantly shouting about calories. If we ha- again have this external reminder that, okay, this is the calories, this is the number, um, it's, it's just this real trigger that can kind of strengthen that ED voice mm-hmm. or just be that real kind of reminder again of calories. And even if somebody hadn't been focusing on calories, it can be, you know, for, for the first time, somebody might be like, oh, I didn't realize there were so many calories in that. Or maybe I should swap that for this or, oh, that's not kind of worth the calories in um, inverted brackets. And that is something actually I experienced when I was in um, a cafe the other day. So it was just before the legislation came in. But 
I was in like a chain and they, I think they must've been getting ready for this because the calories were already everywhere. Mm. You know, I heard two people talking about the number and being like, oh, you know, like that's not worth the calories was exactly what they said. And there was this whole conversation about, oh, well, I could get this and this instead of this. And, you know, I was just in that moment thinking like, how triggering would that be? Even just hearing that conversation for somebody who's struggling with their relationship with food, but also for those people themselves in terms of their own relationship with food. And again, not picking the thing that, you know, maybe they they're fancying or is going to be satisfying. Um, so it can really then just lead down that path of restriction. And as we've already said, like really unnecessarily, because that information might not even be correct. And it really kind of takes people out of that, the enjoyment of eating. So again, if we think about eating out, you know, for a lot of people, that's kind of, you know, a special, social, enjoyable thing to do. Um, obviously, there's different reasons that people eat out. But that being kind of a key example is, again, just going to take a little bit of the enjoyment out of it for a lot of people. As we said, you know, some people may not even notice the calories, but actually those people who are already having a more challenging relationship with food or are more predisposed to that are more likely to kind of focus on that. And again, it kind of it really brings us into our head and it can be, you know, doing literally like maths, like, okay, well, I could have this and this and that's this much. And, you know, rather than going with the flow and having that headspace for being in the moment and enjoying that experience, it can also then lead to possible avoidance and fear of social, spontaneous eating um, and the kind of real obsessive thoughts as well. Um, And as I'd already mentioned as well, I think that the external nature of it is just really unhelpful because you know, what we're working towards, and it will depend on the stage of eating disorder or disordered eating recovery, you know, but for a lot of people, what they're working towards is to be able to have that more intuitive relationship with food and trust in their body. But if we're taking that away, and I think, you know, there's so many people where they already maybe don't have trust in their body. And if we literally have this message coming from the government saying, here are the numbers, this is what you need to do. And, you know, how is that you know, you know, one of the, I'm not even going to say the numbers, but there's a number that's always kind of um, put everywhere. And again, that establishment that I was in had that number and said, you know, the the energy or the calorie requirements for an adult is X. And it's, who, it's who not. are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that that's based on the kind of again um, in brackets, average woman. And I would really argue that that's not the right amount for an average woman. Um, You know, particularly, you know, there's just so many factors that come into play. There isn't this one number we can give to all of the population. Um, So, again, it's just kind of these inaccurate, unhelpful messages that are just really triggering. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful point, Maeve, the this, you know, when clients will say to me, well, that's not healthy. And I'm like, for who? Who are we talking about? Are we talking about an Inuit who has a very specific diet? Are we talking about someone in another region where geographically they have access to these foods and culturally that's what they eat? Uh, Are we talking about somebody who has a certain medical condition? Are we talking about someone who's recovering from an eating disorder? It just completely takes away the nuance of individual health and individual nutrition needs and enjoyment as well. So in terms of what you're hearing, not to, you know, specifically dive into uh, anything too specific with clients, what are some of the concerns that you're hearing from people in terms of uh, how they are going to navigate this? And what have been some of the suggestions and strategies that you've been sharing with them? 
Yeah. So really it's been a lot of anxiety and worry about where will I be able to eat? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how will I cope with this? Um, and just more and more conversations just about calories in general, even, even outside of, you know, specifically eating out and calories on menus, because there's just been so much more conversation and just more awareness of calories in the ether. Um, so really, I mean, the first thing that I've been saying is just how understandable that that anxiety is, um, that, that, that worry about seeing those numbers and things, you know, as we've said, it, it makes a lot of sense about why that's difficult and why that's triggering for people. And really, I wish that the government wasn't putting people in that position. But, you know, that being said, you know, we now are in this position where this is happening. So we do need to kind of work towards the, the coping strategy side of things and how are we going to move forward? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been discussing a bit about kind of grounding and self-soothing strategies. So, you know, if you're faced with this in the moment, you know, the first thing, you know, regulating that nervous system um, so that you're able to, you know, better connect to that logical part of the brain um, and your well self and, you know, make a decision that's that's going to be recovery aligned. So that's going to be different for everyone. You know, some people it's they have maybe affirmations or breathing exercises, or maybe it's, you know, getting yourself out of that environment for a little bit of time and kind of until you feel more collected and you can get back into that space. Um, so I, I think also, I guess, the the social support side of things, we've been having conversations about, you know, who else might be able to support you. Um, and really, I guess, empowering clients as well. Um, to ask for that support. So, you know, if you are going out with friends and family, um, you know, asking people not to have those discussions about the calories and the numbers, you know, first and foremost, and really, you know, you're setting kind of a, a helpful boundary there. I would argue for everybody who's going to be at that meal, mm -hmm. um, but specifically for you and your recovery and your relationship with food. And then there's kind of extra steps that you might be able to take in terms of that social support. Um, so it could be that, you know, your friend takes a picture of the menu and blacks out the calories so that you can have a look at that. Right. Or maybe suggestion. you're ordering in. Yeah, I think that's actually been quite a, a practical one um, mm -hmm. that some people might find helpful. Um, it could be yeah, if you're ordering in. And I, I guess that's where it comes to that kind of the graduated exposure to this as well. I actually think for a lot of people, maybe getting comfortable with ordering in because you know the calories are going to be in a lot of those menus as well that might feel safer for people in terms mm -hmm. of if you're with somebody, then again, you know, they can be reading things out to you, or as we said, kind of blacking that out for you. Uh, but you're also then feeling maybe in a kind of safer environment. Um, it can also be um, a little bit of planning and knowing maybe where you won't be necessarily faced with this. So there's going to be plenty of places to go where they won't have calories on menu still. So I think that's actually a really important point to mention, you know, as you, when you're reading out that legislation, it's those kind of larger um, yes. kind of chain restaurants really that have 250 employees or more. So going for kind of the smaller, more local places are unlikely to have um, the calories there. You can also, you know, ring ahead and ask about that. You know, is that going to be on the menu or do you have a version without the calories on the menu? So actually, even a lot of those bigger chains are specifically offering um, calories, sorry, menus without calories. 
And um, so I've seen Wagamamas talk about this. I've heard, I think, Nando's, Frankie and Benny's. Fantastic. Um, that's so, yeah, absolutely. that's so lovely. That's really good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, some of those might be on their online setting. So it's, yeah. it is just worth individually checking, you know, in your area as well, what they can offer. Um, so again, that that is that bit of, you know, taking those extra steps that might be really important for you to kind of reach out and plan ahead and, you know, make sure that the place you're going, either you, you're able to avoid calories. And if not, that maybe you have that extra support that you may not have to be faced with calories. So I think there might be a little bit of kind of extra planning involved in the beginning, but I do think that once you have, you know, your grounding, your self-soothing strategies, and you know, those places um, that you won't be faced with calories, or you have those strategies in place um, for, you know, not having to see those numbers, I think it will get easier because, you know, you'll know where to go. You'll know where it's going to feel like a kind of a safer, less triggering environment. Even with all that being said, though, there, you know, if we think about real life and there may be situations where we are just kind of faced with that number, again, that's where the the grounding self-soothing is really important. And also just really trying to remind yourself that calories just aren't accurate or helpful to focus on. So if you want to, you know, have a, a screensaver on your phone or a little note or an affirmation or something about that, just to really remind yourself that focusing on calories is not accurate, is not helpful. I think that can be a really important thing if you are faced with that number, mm. because if you see that number, if you feel triggered, if that feels difficult, as we said, that's understandable, but taking that moment to be kind to yourself and to remind yourself that that's not helpful. So, you know, let's, let's not focus on that. It can kind of help you to center yourself and then tap into your well self and think about, okay, what choice is going to be actually best for me and my recovery. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Such beautiful advice there from, you know, validating your feelings. I've been doing that a lot this week of just saying, yeah, you're right to be angry. This is frustrating. This is terrible. This is unnecessary. And it's also great that you feel outraged about it as well. That's a really good sign that there is a strong, healthy self in there that is looking at this and seeing how absurd it is and how thoughtless it is, especially considering the UK was one of the first places to uh, release research linking COVID without escalating, you know, uh, numbers of people suffering from eating disorders and being diagnosed mm-hmm. with eating disorders for the first time. There is so much uh, great advice in there. People are going to, I know, really appreciate the really specific strategies. And I completely agree with you that at some point we kind of do need to expose ourselves to these things. I remember being in Australia where they only have to show the kilojoules and I'm terrible at maths. So it took a lot of effort to have to sort of uh, do that maths in my head and that conversion, but then going Mm -hmm. to places like the U S where they've had those calories uh, displayed for some time, it would be quite jarring. It would really be like, Oh, I, you know, it just shows me how much I really have worked those numbers out of my head but it really is a bit of a, I have to actively kind of ignore it when I was over there in active recovery. Uh, So absolutely at some point, we're going to have to expose ourselves to it. It's just a very Mm -hmm. quick, very sudden, thoughtless way that it's being done. Yes, absolutely. And I guess the other thing to mention as well is that, you know, if you are really struggling in the short term and um, there is the beat helpline in the UK as well. And, you know, they've been posting about this on social media as well. 
So they'll be quite prepared to um, to offer some additional support around this specific topic. Uh, of course, you know, if you're working with some professionals as part of your recovery, they're obviously, you know, really important people to reach out to as well for that support, mm-hmm. as well as that social support that we mentioned. Um, but no, I 100% agree that actually that that exposure piece is really important. But this, yeah, just ridiculous way in terms of how it's being done and this kind of, you know, fake importance that's being placed on it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. Um is I guess the thing that's going to be really unhelpful for so many people. Mm-hmm. So Maeve, thank you so much for all of that extremely practical advice and guidance. Practicality is probably my favorite element of recovery is giving people actual tangible things that they can do and work with to make this process as tolerable and doable as possible. It's not always going to be shiny and fantastic. And isn't this an example of that? Um, So I super, super appreciate your time and all of those excellent suggestions. I have uh, promoted your live, uh, but where can people come and find you? What sort of links do we need to include in our show notes so people can come and find your amazing work? Thank you so much. It's been really lovely speaking with you. Um, so I'm on Instagram, I'm at dietetically speaking and my website as well is dietetically speaking.com. Um, so they're the places where I'd share most of my content and information. Like I have a mailing list and things as well. You can find on my website, um, and for one-to-one support as well, that information is on my website. Um, so yeah, absolutely. If you're free to come and watch that live, um, myself, I'm one of the dietitians that works in my clinic. Um, L, we're going to be speaking about this again. Um, and then that's going to be up on my Instagram as well for people to come back to. Fantastic. It's going to be one o'clock in the morning in Bali for me. So I definitely, (laughs) I'm going to hit that remind button, but it'll probably be me watching the playback, but I will absolutely be catching it and sharing it uh, in anticipation of it sort of starting, but also the recorded final version so that people can go back to it. Um, Cannot recommend your accounts more. Uh, I love following you. I love your content. I love sort of the uh, tone that goes through everything that you do. Just really compassionate and inclusive. And uh, talking to you today, it really reflects uh, what you put out into the world. Just so calm and centered. And I'm sure that your clients love working with you. Uh, And I just really, really appreciate the stuff that you're doing in the space. Thank you so much. Back at you. Absolutely love your content and everything you're doing. Um, So yes, it's been really wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you.